stop the rest of the group from doing their own thing. My main man, Dead Mike, solo tip in his most personal recording yet. I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm blacker than black, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm blacker than black, and I'm black, y'all. Yeah, all right, all right, welcome back. What is good, everybody? You are now rocking with the Brown Not Black Podcast Season 2 premiere. Harrison and I just wanted to take a very quick second and express from the bottom of the black holes that we call our hearts to say thank you to everybody who listened and tuned in to any episode of season one. We learned a ton and the love and the feedback that we really got so far from that is really what kept us going and what made us want to put so much into the season two. So we're very excited for it, hoping that you'll enjoy it very much. But I also did want to say, you know, we've been learning a lot. And it's been on the mic as well as off the mic. And I've seen a couple of our friends here and there get inspired and, you know, want to create their own things because the conversations that we're having are sparking those new conversations. Yeah, I second that. A big thank you to everybody who's tuned in, whether you've only checked out a couple of episodes or all of them. It has been such an inspiration to see that people actually want to hear what we have to say. And that has kept us going and kept us moving, (laughs) kept us inspired. We're feeling the love. We feel ready to keep delivering more content. And that's why we chopped this up into seasons, because Nick and I really thought about it. And we're like, yo, we've got like six episodes under our belt. We tested the waters. We like getting on the mic. We like editing. We like talking about these topics in a casual way. Let's keep it rolling. Let's step it up to the next level. Let's make the Brown Not Black podcast bigger and blacker than ever. We got season two right here. Like, we're live. We're going to make this happen. We're going to keep delivering these conversations. And it's for us, but it's also for the culture and for the people who want to hear it and who need to hear it. In that vein, let's get into it. You got your two co-hosts right here. I go by the name of Nick. It's me, your favorite racially ambiguous cousin harrison (laughs) okay all right and today on the show we have two very very special guests in the vein of going bigger and further than ever before we have two guests who are insanely good at that they have taught me in the past year alone more about myself than i ever thought that there was there to learn give a big Brown Not Black podcast welcome to Angel and Eric. Yo, thanks for having us. That was a huge intro. I feel like a little uh, pressure is put on our shoulders now, low key. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love the gas. That was great. (laughs) We're very, very geeked to be here. Welcome to the show. We've been wanting to talk to you both for a long time. I would like to say this off the bat. You know, I, I do want you both to introduce yourselves, you know, on a deeper level. Eric has been one of my best friends, one of my brothers since freshman year of high school. And throughout the past year, ever since the murder of George Floyd and going through all those protests and civil rights movements and everything like that last year, Eric has really been a rock for me in terms of straight up buying and sending me 
Malcolm X's autobiography and other literature for me to go through and to really, to be quite honest, open my eyes. So please, by all means, Angel, Eric, please, you know, give the crowd a little descriptors about yourself. We'd love to learn more about you and we're really excited to hear your voices on this show. For sure. I guess I'll go first. So I'm Eric. Like you said, like Nick, I feel like we go at this point, like I just be forgetting how long we've known each other because it feels like forever. Too long. For real. And like, I'm an avid listener. You know, I listen to every episode y'all drop. So like every time you talk about like your your Haitian friends from high school, I'm like, oh shit, he's talking about me. Like that's me right there. I'm <laughs> here along with like the rest of the gang. So really dope to be on. Background on me, like, like I said, I'm like one of Nick's Haitian American friends. And really, I guess like just the biggest background, the most important thing I'll say, I'm also like a, a child of two immigrants and also grew up, stayed in New York. And to go along with like what you just said to like intro me a little bit, the uprisings that happened last year were like a big pivotal moment for me too. And I feel like Nick, you can like attest to this, but like, I feel like I've been on my own like journey trying to learn about and like understand a lot of the systems around me for a while. And I feel like mm. really, I hit a point last year with when everything happened, I realized that like it was important for me to not only like go on that journey myself, but try to bring all my friends along with me and like engage in these kind of conversations with my friends as well. So that's kind of what motivated me to just kind of reach out to everyone I knew. And literally, if you're like a fan of SpongeBob, that scene where he like busts through the Krabby Patty and he's like, hey, all you people. Hey, all you people. Hey, all you people. Won't you listen to me? (laughs) That's 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 a crazy reference. Oh, that's like me and Angel's like love language. So you'll see that a lot. probably. (laughs) We, We love to see it. Oh, that's right. I didn't even introduce that. (laughs) <laughs> angel and eric are romantic partners <laughs> yes definitely so yeah like that's kind of where i was last year where i just felt like i had to scream from the mountaintops and try to just put everybody on and hopefully have other people put me on so like more to continue growing so it's really dope to join this now because i feel like this is kind of like i can draw a straight line from like some of the conversations we had like almost a year ago to like you deciding to start up a podcast like this so very very deep to be here exactly you are definitely a big inspiration in most of these conversations that I've been having. Yeah, again, the literature that you sent me alone. Malcolm X's autobiography alone has, again, given me a lot of ammo for these talking points. But we'd now like to turn it over to, dare I say, the even more special guest, Angel. <laughs> I don't know if I deserve that. My name is Angel. I, um, as Nick said, I am Eric's girlfriend of the last five years. That's how I know Nick. Wow. I am from the blackest city in America, aka Detroit, Michigan. I feel like, hmm, I feel like people are kind of talking about their, like, political journey. I don't know. I, I feel like I've always been this way. I'm like a super bookworm. Like, I love to read. I'm always reading. I'm always like watching documentaries, listening to podcasts. I literally want to know everything that there is to know. I hate lies and like, I hate, I just love the truth. So I love learning. Yeah, I feel like there's nothing really else to say about me. Can I ask, since this is par for the course for the podcast, whenever we have guests, do you want to share? And of course, this applies to Eric as well even though he did briefly mention it, would you like to share any of your cultural background or maybe like ancestral backgrounds, whatever it might be, like where 
Are you are you a first generation American? Where did your parents come from? Were they American, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Oh yeah, sorry, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I am well, Black American or African American, or we really just call ourselves Black. My family came to Detroit during the Great Migration. My dad's entire family is from Alabama. Grandmother's family is from Kentucky, and my grandfather's family is from Georgia. Obviously, slavery, so that's how I got here. Damn. <laughs> kind of built wow. this place up. Yo, that's how we all got here in a different kind of way. High key. Yeah. <laughs> Very important, because people forget that. Mm-hmm. You want to say it one more time? Slavery. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> slavery. yeah, there right. we go. There we go. <laughs> like, same slaves, different... Agriculture, different boat. <laughs> it was different. Yeah, bro, we was, we was just on different boats, different agriculture. That's we was here for that was it. Like shit, that's crazy. Thank you for sharing that, Eric. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? Or I know you mentioned Haitian American. Yeah, no, I think I really said it all. So I'm first gen. Both my parents Caribbean. Both originally Haitian. My father moved around the a little bit more the islands a little bit more, but I'm definitely first gen all the way. So. Just bringing that experience. That's really all I, I have to, to add to that. I think like... Oh my goodness. I forgot to ask the pivotal question of this podcast. Are you too black? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we were just talking about this earlier. Am I the first black woman on the podcast? Oh Yes, that's shit. why you're the very special guest. That's a great way to start your next phase. We're so excited to have you. I love to see it. This is progress. A lot of the feedback that we received from especially our first couple episodes, is that we have, obviously, a very male-centric point of view. And so we immediately started looking for non-males to open that up and really give us more perspective. So welcome. I hope you have water, because you're going to be doing most of the talking. Congratulations. <laughs> Angel actually touched on it a little bit, but Harrison, would you like to kind of get more into the topic of what we're going to be speaking about today? Absolutely, Nick. So today... We have a topic that is pretty broad, but very important, and it couldn't be any more fitting that we have Angel and Eric with us today to talk about this topic in particular. Mm -hmm. Today we want to talk about what exactly is black? Furthermore, why in America... Do we usually refer to black peoples as African American when Africa is a whole continent? It's massive. And we don't refer to other peoples as, uh, let's say, for example, European American, you know? We get really specific with other groups like Italian or Irish or something, but why has it been the standard for so long to just refer to black presenting people as African-American? What's the profiling about? And we just want to use that as the springboard to talk about how being genuine to one's identity is so important for the individual and the culture surrounding the individual. Right, so I'll ask Angel, because I think you might be the only person here who's directly descendant from 
American enslaved peoples, correct? I think so. Unless one of y'all got a secret. (laughs) (laughs) No, my ancestors were picking sugar cane in the Caribbean. So that's, yeah, that's, I know that one. Same here. (laughs) So, so going off of that, the question I do, I am very curious to hear your answer. The question I would like to ask is, or what do the words African American mean to you? Uh, okay. Hmm. I should have anticipated this question, but I actually didn't. I feel like, well, (laughs) on one hand, there is this history that gets erased about the term, like, African-American, where Black people took up this term in, like, the 80s, specifically as a callback to Africa, like, pride in being descendants of Africa. But over time, it became this thing that, like, became politically correct, and, like, white people will literally call every Black person (laughs) African-American, even when they're not Uh. American. (laughs) So I feel mixed yeah. feelings about it because on one hand, I very much appreciate and respect and want to honor the intent of the term. The term doesn't really resonate with me because mostly because of the American part, like most black Americans, quote unquote. And I say, quote unquote, because we really only call ourselves black American around like non-American black people. But we really just call ourselves black because like we don't feel any loyalty to America. Like really, it's fuck America. So when I hear the term African-American, I'm like, I don't want to fucking be affiliated with America. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I knew the conversation was going to get here. I did not anticipate that it would be under the 20 minute mark, but I love that. I'm really loving this. That's good. Let's set the tone now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, for real. It's like the things that happen to, I guess, our people as black people here, because even black immigrants suffer here is just completely ridiculous. Like, I would have, why would I have any loyalty to a country that's consistently, purposefully killing my people? No, you're right. Why would you bear loyalty or pride for a country that very purposely robbed you of your ancestry hundreds of years ago? My next question for you, Angel. How long ago did you quote-unquote open your eyes to this or were you always sort of aware of it growing up in Detroit I was always somewhat aware of it it's definitely been a journey like I grew up with my uncle he passed away last year from COVID but he was like a hotep and not like the Twitter type of hotep like a real hotep like he would go to meetings like he had all the Egyptian artifacts in his room like fun facts about the Moors and shit so, like, I grew up in a house that was very much like, we are black. This That is a great thing. Like, we were enslaved. That was fucked up, blah, blah, blah. But it really wasn't until after college where I started to have a deeper understanding of, like, the United States specifically. Like, I think I went through my little, like, phase where I was a little liberal. But um over time, I feel like I've come out of that and I'm, like very receptive to just like facts despite any of the brainwashing or the like things I have ideas that have been shoved down my throat growing up in school. Right. That's exactly what I wanted to touch upon because for example, someone like myself, I've had my eyes closed for way too long, especially growing up on Long Island, going to predominantly 
white elementary, middle, and high school, it was very tough to even find footing to get onto the path of actually educating myself. And I do, again, want to thank you and Eric for both giving me the literature and pointing me in the right direction for that. So kind of the same question on over to you, Eric. I mean, when people call you African-American or there's a government form and you have to put down what your ethnicity is and the only thing that's there is African-American, like what, like how does that make you feel? How does that, you know, resonate with you? I don't know. It's always like an interesting thing because I feel like kind of to Angel's point, they kind of <laughs> like it's kind of just become a, a standard term for anyone black. Like I, I think there's clips of I don't remember what some like some news outlet was talking about Naomi Campbell, who is clearly British, and they they called her African American, and everyone was like, "What are you talking about?" So it's like a little <laughs> weird <laughs> how it's become like a casual, and I think like. I think it's something for me, like, I'm still, like, figuring out personally because it's, like, I'm not, to kind of, like, compare, like, my situation to Amy's, like, my family did, you know, move here. So, it's, like, is that reason to kind of agree with the Haitian American, for instance? Or, you know, is there still, like, room for me to kind of push back on that, you know, for similar reasons? So it's, I guess that's something like I think about every once in a while, but it is like funny, like you just kind of have to check the box, like black slash African-American anytime it comes up. But also like another thing, which is kind of a tangent away from this conversation a little bit, but still related that even me being Haitian, that means that I'm technically, you know, Latino, but not considered that technically by most people, most people would not really agree with that. Even like some Haitian people wouldn't agree with that. But by definition, I am, you know? So I think like, but I never really checked that box, even though in the back of my head, I'm like, technically. But, you know, sometimes things, mm. I think that kind of just speaks to how like a lot of these categories are really just made up and usually for a specific purpose. And that's why they tend to have like a lot of contradictions and don't really make any sense. Yeah, man, you're exactly right on that one because when they put these categories there for people like you, for people like Nick, people like myself, it's never genuine and it's never accurate to who we actually are. Because I want to address two things, first of all. You being a Haitian American, it's like, I see where you're coming from on that, like, how do I handle my identity? Do I give the pushback to the United States? And it's kind of like, you absolutely can, yeah. But if anything, you got beef with France. But, like, that's another story. Because they ain't returned any of the wealth back to Haiti for all the exploitation they did. Listen. <laughs> and the next point is that whole bit about being technically Latino, right? Because geographically, Haiti is located in a certain part of the world where you could technically describe yourself as Latino and due to all of the cultural heritages and whatnot, you could slip into that box, right? I've felt a similar strange way about my Guyanese heritage where technically speaking, Guyana is not considered part of the West Indies or the Caribbean in some people's books and in, in the most technical sense, right? But culturally, 
Guyana is very Caribbean. Yes, there is the Amazon rainforest where there's like many natives who inhabit that part of like the mainland, but the culture of Guyana is on that coastline that makes them a port kind of a place where it's it's so Caribbean. Like every Guyanese person you probably meet would say like, yeah, we're Caribbean peoples, but on the technical level, we're not. On the technical level, we're South American. And like geographically, yes, but culturally, no. So there's this there's this clash where it's hard for people like me and Nick to make complete sense of just where the hell do we fit in? There's also that flip side of being on the mainland of the South American continent of being, I think it's one of two non-Spanish speaking countries. You know, no one, no one really, to my knowledge, speaks Spanish in Guyana. Like you said, it's yeah, it's it's one of three. So there's Guyana, Suriname, and Brazil. Oh, Portuguese, right? Exactly. Right, right. But that's that's another factor to it. It's just like where where do we fit in? This shit is confusing. Yeah, we make our own way. We're doing all right. No, I was gonna say yeah. Like the thing is, these things were all arbitrary. Like these categories, they were really not meant to actually help people. Like group themselves with people like them is just like what really like colonizers perceived as yeah these niggas look alike and they kind of sound alike so we'll just put them in one group you know so that's exactly what they did yeah so it's like that's i feel like that's what makes it so complicated it's like we're trying to like crack a code using numbers but really we need to use letters like instead like it's kind of like that like it just doesn't that's why it's so weird it's so difficult it's hard to make sense of it you know for a lot of people and it's messed up because we're sitting here, we've spent years of our lives thinking about, man, where do I fit in? And really, it shouldn't even be a question. But the devices of the colonizers have made us feel this way for so long, when it's really quite simple. We are of Haitian heritage. We are of Guyanese heritage. We are of Caribbean heritage, the history of slaves, people who got brought from one place to the next. But these these devices used to put us into boxes that we don't even fit into are just confusing us when it doesn't even need to happen. We can just be genuine to our cultural backgrounds instead. Well, open question is that I plan on playing mostly devil's advocate since I feel like I was the last one to join the fold of, you know, opening your eyes. So devil's advocate, like all these questions that were ingrained into me, are these, you know, categorizations, like are these classifications, are they, are they put there to divide people like us? I think it's a mixture. Like, I think that they needed to divide us for their own reasons, like their own economic purposes. At the end of the day, we were chattel, like we were property. So they needed to divide us so that they could monetize us and like calculate how much we were worth and create, honestly, an entire economy around our, like us. So I don't necessarily think that the categories were designed specifically to divide us, but once it became apparent that it also did that, it became like, oh, well, this is pretty convenient. Like, we should manipulate this as well. But I feel like originally it was mostly for their, like, I guess to Harrison's point, convenience. Like, it was for them to be able to run their economy. Interesting. That is a, that's a fantastic answer. I second that 
the po- the, to the question you posed about if this is sort of used to divide us or a tool for categorization, I agree with what Angel just said. It is definitely a little bit of A and B because, I mean, peoples from Africa were a commodity at a point in time of human history. For a long period of time. <laughs> I mean, damn, you're, yo, you're right. You're right. 600 years of slave still ain't enough, bro. Let me also jump in to emphasize, like, the commodity. Like, the, Yo, like the entire economy revolved around. <laughs> entire this. economy revolved around African bodies. That's, that's the damn truth, man. I mean, look at it. Triangle trade. The West Indies. The, the Americas. They brought us everywhere, man. <laughs> it ain't right. Thanks. And we built up the infrastructures and the economies and, and all of these great things. And now they make us check off boxes on these government forms to say what the <laughs> hell we are. And we still yeah, ain't crazy. getting treated right. I mean, crazy. I don't know how long it's going to take for us to get to that mountaintop, but <laughs> shit. But let me stay focused. But I mean, I think it also speaks to, like, we talk about slavery in this very, like, past tense concept. But it really is still going on right now. Like, black people are still a commodity in prisons and jails like people make fuck tons i'm talking billions and billions and billions of dollars off of Mm -hmm. us being like inmates quote unquote you know so it's like even though we talk about slavery as if it was a thing like it's very much still happening and even after slavery like there was sharecropping there was chain gangs like we've never actually not been enslaved they always just change the way it looks they always just change the game that's right and and on that note i just want this one on the record if you don't know about the 13th Amendment, I was about you to say that. need the 13th to know Amendment. about it. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to read it right here, right now. Uh-oh, okay. Passed by Congress on January 31st, 1865, and ratified on December 6th, 1865, the 13th Amendment abolished slavery in the United States and provides that, quote, Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction, unquote. Except as punishment for crime. Slavery still yeah. exists. As Punishment for a crime. That was really a mic drop right there. <laughs> you really just said, like, I keep that thing on me at all times. <laughs> Sir, don't get it twisted. You busted that out. I, I, just, I was not ready for that. I was like, how did you do that so fast? That's straight from the book, dude. <laughs> He's got the Constitution on his wall. I keep that 13th on me at all times, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I tweeted something last week, and it happened to be my most liked tweet. So that's why it's so stuck in my memory. But I replied to someone saying, please look into slavery. It's been, it's still here. It's been rebranded in the possibly the greatest marketing scheme of all time. And that same day, I actually read the 13th Amendment for the first time. And all I got from it was, yeah. We're done with slavery, but it's kind of <laughs> like still we're here. We're not though. even done with it, but and I was 
It's crazy. It's it, there's a it huge crazy but think about in, it. in the amendment. And the wild part is because shit was so like racist back then. Like you know, it wasn't a bad thing to like want black people to be enslaved. So there is literally records of these niggas from the Confederacy. Like you know. We do prefer the old slavery, but we'll just go with this one for now. Like, they weren't even hiding it at all. That's terrible. But to speak back to the point that you made, Angel, you're absolutely right. Slavery, the enslavement of especially black peoples, is so profitable. Insanely profitable. It still continues to be insanely profitable in the United States, where there are for-profit prisons that exist you can invest in these prisons too just as a citizen it's it's mental even to add on top of that like it's not it's not just the for-profit prisons either because even the ones that aren't for-profit prisons they still have contracts with private companies you know like there's a lot of money invested in the prisons continuing to operate the way they do you know you have companies that need to provide food that need to provide telephone services, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like everything that occurs inside a prison, that's contracted to a private company pretty much. And so like, it's really like a lot of money invested in this continuing and prisons continuing to be filled up to the brim and increasing over time. So it's like, and it's right in front of us, you know, it's, it's there, it's not hidden. And the prisons themselves are, again, like the entire economy of the towns that they're in, like, there are prison towns where literally if the prison were to leave, the entire town would be destitute. Like people are begging yeah. governments to build prisons in their towns because that's mad fucking jobs. They need COs, they need administrators, they need nurses, they need all types mm. of like people to hire. And so when you build a prison in a community, you're hiring the entire community and like giving them, you know, so they're not destitute. So even the government run, like they contract out. And also there, they saw like, people always bring up the tax dollars argument. Like, oh, we spend this much tax dollars, but like, it doesn't matter. Cause at the end of the day, if that prison were to leave, that entire town would just be like, fucked. Exactly. And Damn. again, this just speaks to the point that got us here in the conversation that I was trying to make. I'm going to correct my stance right now. It's not in a past tense. Black bodies have been the soul of economy in the world and continue to be the soul of the economy in the world, especially the United States, because the enslavement and use of their labor is just so damn profitable and so evil at the same time. It's still going on here in the States. Ain't a damn thing changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's profitable everything's gonna be profitable when you get labor and you don't pay someone like, for it damn what if i just didn't pay y'all it's, it's so crazy no no it's true and a lot of the jobs that like exist in the prisons like people think that people who are in prison are working for like starbucks and walmart and in some sense they are but a lot of times their jobs are literally just maintenance of the prison like i used to be a therapist for domestic violence survivors on rikers island and I know people who would work like 40 hour weeks and make like $17 for the week. And like that type of shit, even though like what? they're not getting paid $0, it's like that's pretty much slavery at that point. Damn. What? Was that you? You said you were a therapist for people on Rikers Island? Yeah. Yep, I was. The f Who are you? <laughs> <What the fuck? laughs> when did that happen? 
Yo, pr- props to you. That's nuts. <laughs> Nick, that literally was my job for the last, like, almost three years Facts. until January. Facts. You see, the eyes was closed, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Damn, I didn't know that. But let me stay focused. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> So the next thing I wanted to address is what the hell does black even mean? I mean, I like to think of myself as black, even though this is the brown, not black podcast. But at the same time, what is black? I really like to identify myself as a Caribbean American, right? But in the same sense, I'm conflicted. I am black, but what is it? It's just like this catch-all statement, you know what I mean? Like, it covers so many people and so many places. I see the utility of saying black, but deep down, what exactly is it to Eric and Angel? Man, that that is like a whole episode in and of itself, almost. That's the funny part. But I feel like... <laughs> Like, I'll say for sure, like, I, like, me, I consider myself black, like, no question, like, period, like, no question marks. Like, Was that shade? Maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but I also have said this to y'all offline, so I feel like I'm on the record as well, so. Because I, like, like, I look at y'all, I'm like, y'all are two very similarly, like, standard issue, Negro, <laughs> like, <laughs> no question about it. Yeah, I don't know. That's 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 my opinion. Because I'm like, Harrison, I know you say, I know you say racially ambiguous, but you also say you look like Prince. And Prince is a standard issue. Prince is black. Is a black <laughs> that is a black man. <laughs> let me let, let me hit you with this. I ain't standard issue. I'm the light skin edition, bro. Uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> so is the next episode about colorism? Is that what you're... Oh, oh shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, bro. I have to say it. I was, bro. Come on, bro. Just the other day, I was, I was lifting weights in a black tank top, listening to R and B. What are you trying to say? <laughs> oh man, it's like colorism. <laughs> I think to me, like, I think it's hard to like really say like. This is a conversation I feel like comes up among like on social media, among like groups of people, friend groups. You know, like. I feel like even like at school, like at our like BSU meetings, we talk about this, like our black student union that is like, we talk about this type of stuff, like what exactly is black, who is black, who is not. And I think like some wrinkles to it are like, you know, like Angel highlighted earlier, you know, for people who are black American um, to like, you know, they just really refer to themselves as just black. And so one thing for me, like there's a small little like story when I got to school to college you know, that was my first time really being around a lot of people who were not Caribbean, you know, black people who are not Caribbean, you know, growing up on Long Island at our high school, like Nick has mentioned several times, most of the black people we were around, I would say were from one of the islands. So really that's a question was like, where are you from? Mm -hmm. You know? And so of course we were black, but we were like black and Haitian, black and Jamaican, black and Guyanese, like something else as well. Um, and so when I got to college, that was the first time I experienced that. And there's like kind of, you know, this interesting thing where, you know, black American culture, for instance, 
you know, you will hear people who are black American, like if they meet someone like me, and I say like, oh yeah, I'm like my parents are from Haiti. They would say, oh, okay, so you're not black. And that's not saying that, you know, there's like almost du- a double meaning to the word. Like that's not saying I'm not black in the way that I think of it, but more I'm not black in the way they think of it. So yeah. there are some like interesting- You're not African-American. Exactly. Yeah. You know? And so there are some like interesting ways to look at it because it really depends on who is saying it. But I think in the way that it's commonly used, you know, who's black and who isn't, in my mind, like that's just really about checking really like two boxes. If you check two boxes, I in my mind, like you, you're going to be considered black pretty much everywhere you go. One, do you have ancestry that goes back to Africa? And not like, okay, we all come from Africa. Not that. Like, seriously, do you have ancestry that goes back to Africa? And two, do you look black to people? When people see you, do you look like a black person? Because if those two things check out, you're pretty much going to be considered black no matter where you go. Like, it's going to be hard to say. Like, you know, that's why there's jokes about, you know, people joke about like Dominican people saying like, oh, the niggas is black. They just don't know it. You know, people will look like me, for instance, and sometimes they say, oh, I'm not black. And so I think like that's kind of what it comes down to. Some people don't accept it. Some people do. Some people are still confused about it. I think we're all in some ways, I won't say all, but a lot of people are in some ways confused about it just because like what we talked about earlier, how it's a lot of it, like a lot of the labels are a little weird. It's it's confusing because the labels are, like we said before, mostly arbitrary and not even there for us. They're for other people who mostly exploited us at some point in time. <laughs> That's a great point. Angel, what is your take on that previous question? I kind of agree with Eric. Like, it's really like all goes back to do you have African ancestry? And it's broad, I think, like intentionally you know what i'm saying and so like kind of i feel like i have like a very similar in a way like story as eric where like i came to college and it was the first time i had ever met i won't even say it's the first time i ever met because it wasn't it was the first time i had ever like realized that like there were black people on other countries that like came here by choice i was so confused i was like why the fuck (laughs) would you come here like (laughs) No, I'm serious because people would tell me like, oh, I'm Dominican or like, I'm like from Guyana. And I would kind of just be like, okay, because in my brain, like that didn't, not that it didn't mean anything, but I had no conception of like the Caribbean. Like someone could have told me like, yeah, Haiti is right next to Japan. I would have been like, all right. You know, like, especially being raised in the Midwest, like real America, you know what I'm saying? Like, they don't give a fuck. They're not going to teach you about the Caribbean. They're not going to teach you about, like, black people in other places. So when I came to New York, I was kind of like, wait, so you're not from here? But you came here by choice? Like, are you sure? You know, and obviously it took a while for me to understand, like, not really by choice, like, U.S. imperialism, but, like, to some extent. And I feel like my eyes opening to that, I was like, oh shit, like, I was geeked. I'm like, damn, there's black people other places? Like, that's lit. But (laughs) (laughs) it also, like, I had this, like, bitterness that I had to get over, had to get over, and I feel like a lot of people in the diaspora, like, struggle with this bitterness that we direct toward one another, but actually is misdirected. Because, like, when Eric would say, like, oh, like, basically that he didn't realize that black Americans were, like, in New York or, like, a thing... I was so offended. Like, I was like, so who the fuck do you think built New York? Like, you thought we built it and just fucking left? Like, I was so offended. (laughs) I mean. (laughs) I was so offended, but I had to realize, like, 
that is because of a very intentional and specific education that Eric got similar to like I, nobody ever dared told me about the Haitian revolution. You know what I'm saying? So yo, I feel like a lot of the mm, like when I learned about the Haitian revolution, I got I felt militant. I was like, this fast. this is the way. This is the way to do it. They had it right. Listen, every person, everybody should learn about that the Haitian Revolution. And I don't Absolutely. just say that because I'm Haitian. I'm like close to finishing up a book about it. And I think it's like imperative that everyone understands exactly what happened and the cards that were stacked against them in that situation. That's all I need to jump in to say. <laughs> God, let you just go look ahead. it up. Do some research. No, I read a book. Read a whole <laughs> ass book about it. Really? Yes, you read should. The book. Black Jacobins is a great book. CLR James was written a long time ago, and it was the first like thorough, in-depth analysis of the Haitian Revolution, and it cites everything. It like breaks down everything from start to finish. It's amazing, so I rec- highly recommend that one. That's a D book to read on. Yeah, all right. Awesome. I'm sorry we derailed you slightly no, there, okay. Angel, but that shit got us heated. <laughs> Any derailment um, about the Haitian Revolution is useful. But yeah, like to me, black really has everything to do with Africa. And I feel like that is discomforting to some people because some people don't want that connection to Africa or don't feel that connection to Africa. But at the end of the day, like, I don't know if y'all are familiar with Kwame Ture or most like formerly known as Stokely Carmichael here, but he was like one of the champions of black people in the U.S. specifically embracing the word black like around the civil rights movement, black power, like movement. Yes, and he yes. is Caribbean American. You know, like he's Trinidadian and like mm-hmm. played a huge role. And so I feel like it's this one thing, like to me, black is like embracing all of it, like the whole diaspora, Africa, all of it, because I feel way more like sentimentally, I feel way more when I see a black person, whether I'm in France, whether I'm like in Portugal, in the US or in Costa Rica or wherever, when I see another black person, I feel way more than when I see an American somewhere. Like if someone pulls yes. up on me and I'm like abroad and they have an American accent, I'm kind of like, mm, let me see like, your oh, Twitter hey. likes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel that. I, I resonate with what you just said, man. Like, I mean, Angel, I almost called you man. That was very informal. Pardon it's me. It's okay. <clears throat> I, I call her bro all the time, so it's fine. Thanks. That's, that's, that's <laughs> the way to do it, man. Here's my take on Black, after what you guys had just said. If it's a fellow Black person, you know, very clearly, like, you're definitely a Black person, whether you're American, Caribbean, any mix from the sort, right? I feel that Black, to me, in that context, is a sense of unity, right? Yeah. If you are not in those groups and you're referring to me as black without taking the time to maybe consider another way of addressing me or maybe asking me a genuine question, or even if it's a document or some nonsense where I have to check off a box or, or something, right? Then I feel like black is merely another tool of the oppressor to distract me from rising up and fulfilling my true identity and self-actualization. Say more on that. Can you give like a concrete example? I feel like I'm having a hard time like materializing this concept. (laughs) Let's say you're getting profiled by like a police officer or some shit, right? 
they'll just be like, yo, you're, you're just black. Right. So in that case, it's like, you're putting me in this box as a way of keeping me down and easily categorizing me for the purpose of preventing me from moving forward. Just, it's not loving it's not encouraging it's not empowering it's more of a label that is at its best convenient and at its worst not derogatory but in a way used to attach stigma to me you look like you want to say something you're making a face i'm trying to like gather my thoughts no it's okay but i feel you the only thing i would like to add at this very moment is and this is a callback to season one. So, as we've mentioned, we're always learning, always growing. Eric, Angel, when they listen, Harrison, when they listen to the first episode, can actually, you know, Eric and Angel are here. Eric and Angel, after that, you know, first episode where Harrison and I basically said, we're not black. What were your what were your thoughts on that? <laughs> it's like <laughs> Son. I okay, so first things first. I literally like paused everything. I turned to Angel. Because Angel wasn't listening with me. Like I listened first. And so I turned to Angel. I was like, yo, I just found out Nick isn't black. <laughs> And she literally looked back at me and was like, I don't understand. Like, she like, it was not comprehending. And then I was just like, honestly, the first thing that came back, that came to my head, I was like, damn, I thought about all the time you, you said nigga to me. <laughs> and I was like, do we need some reparations? Uh, just like the United States of America, reparation machine broke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can I get my 40 acres in a meal now? Like, I was like, wait a minute. But like, I I was curious. Like, I was just more curious. Like, what? I was like, man, like, I see it. I don't know. Like, that nigga's is black to me. That's it, though. That's literally, like, in this conversation, really unraveled it. And I've it helped me find the words for it. But we're not, what we were trying to say is that we're not African-American. And we never were. But that's how we kind of felt classified as. But we just used the wrong wording, which is why we're at season two. Hold up, hold up. Is that what we were saying? Or was, that's what I feel like. Or consider this: <laughs> Were we saying that we're not people who can be put into such a shallow box? And that we should begin questioning what labels have been assigned to us for so long. Did, did you just say what I said differently? <laughs> or am I, I? I might have. I guess. No, I feel I like you guys said two completely thing. different things. Yeah. I'm a little okay. And you know what? <laughs> We're two different humans. Like it could have different meanings for both of us. I think I have an answer to. I <clears throat> sorry, not an answer. But uh, um, a different way of phrasing what I had said a few minutes ago that stumped me for a moment. Sometimes, if I'm describing myself as black or resonating with this idea of blackness with fellow black peoples, it's a moment of pride and camaraderie. 
if it is not shared with those fellow black peoples, and perhaps it is me describing myself to people who are not of this African diaspora, uh, then I don't feel that sense of camaraderie. I instead feel, and this may just be me thinking about it and not a sweeping statement that can be applied to everyone, I instead feel like I'm being classified into a box rather than being viewed in a genuine sense that lifts up all of my cultural heritage and who I really am, and you're just putting a label on me. I feel like, I feel like in a way, like that's valid because that's kind of what, that's kind of what the purpose was, was, you know, really like, really like black, and this is the same for really brown, like a lot of, like, rate, like these ideas of like, okay, you're black is really just to differentiate, like, you're not white, like, you're not one of us, you're not included in these things, you know? And that's really what the purpose of it was. And that's why there is negative connotations that were associated with being black. Um, and there still are, but like I'm saying from the, you know, from its origin, that was the whole point is really, you know, it, the idea was just you are the other. And I think that's why it can be like to your point, like, I think that's why it can be a little uncomfortable when it's like around people who aren't black when, you know, you being black is highlighted in any way because I feel like it's easy for the first thing to come to your mind as a person who is black is like once it's almost like acknowledging the space, it's like what's going through these other people's heads? You know, what assumptions do they have? Okay, when they think a oh, black person, do they automatically like start thinking all these negative characteristics that are commonly associated with black people? I think like maybe that's that could be like part of this is not me like you're you are resonating with thoughts that I've had right now in your interpretation of what I just said. So I appreciate you for that, for translating that one right there. Yeah, I think that's that's like the the weird dynamic at play is that like at its root, like that's what it was all created for is to make us like the other, you know, um, and to draw this very hard line. Between like we're on this side and you're on that side and, you know, make it difficult for us to really impossible for us to like cross over to that line, you know, and that's why, that's why like this, like this can go in a million ways, but that's why, you know, there's this idea of, oh, like people will say, this is something like, for instance, people said about Barack Obama, like, oh, he speaks so well. Because the idea was that he doesn't speak like a black person, you know, because there's this idea of if you're black, you do this, you know, if you want to move away from blackness, if you want to try and come onto this side where we'll accept you, you got to like drop all those things. You got to let go of those things that may be part of your culture. And that's, and I feel like that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of where that leads to. It raises the next question, like, Let's just use the Barack Obama slash talking example, because I had actually mentioned this in a previous episode. Why, and there's already an answer to this, why is having an eloquent way of speaking that is just concise and clear associated 
or rather not associated with speaking like a black person or like or having being told like oh you speak like a white person right that is divisive and it's definitely not a good way to think okay see but i want to push back on that because i don't think there's anything that makes the way like the king's english more eloquent like that's the language of rapists and murderers and colonizers what makes that so elegant i feel like there is a, a certain way that black people talk and there's actual like grammatical validity to the way that we talk that's mm-hmm. why when white people try to imitate the way that we talk they sound fucking stupid because they don't actually understand the grammar and the actual like complexity to the way that we speak and i don't feel like speaking like the king's english is eloquent necessarily more of that mm-hmm. it's just a way to get above because you have to code switch because that's the way that and this is probably more what you were saying i'm more like clarifying for the audience but like because it's perceived more eloquently you're more likely to get like the benefits of that but the way there's nothing wrong with the way that black people speak okay let's get further into this do you mean specifically like you i guess using barack obama as an example like do you do you use him as a point of reference for like um like the queen's english and shit like that like or do you have like another vision in mind like i want to pry at that because when I said eloquence, just to clarify, I mean, like, just speaking, like, expressing yourself clearly, like, and it's it's not to dig at anyone's, like, dialect or anything. It's just, like, if I can express my thoughts clearly, even if I throw, like, an accent or whatever it is on it, if, I, if I'm coming through clearly, like, I'm not speaking white. I'm, I'm me speaking, like, period. And I just like to have clarity in when I speak. Yeah, but I feel like like we have a different version of clarity than like white people. Like Cardi B will be, for example, saying something that she's expressing her like political opinions very clearly, like is making historical references and people will be like, I can't believe that she's actually making a clear point talking like that. And it's like, <laughs> we are talking, we are speaking clearly in like, actually like expressing ourselves in complete ways but because white people lack that cultural context like they don't actually Mm. even understand what we're they hear english so they think they understand it but they actually don't understand it see i'm seeing i'm seeing where you're getting i'm i'm lifting up what you're putting down right now (laughs) like i'm seeing it because you're in that degree you're right like because i i have seen examples of that shit where like literally cardi b will be saying some shit and like yeah maybe she'll use like certain freight like turns of phrase that you might not get and maybe she does have her certain inflection on her tone and and the way she speaks but it is it makes sense it's clear it's concise and you could say a lot about really any black person from any part of the world just because it's not like perfect british accent or any shit like that let's just use british accent as as a point of reference that doesn't mean it's not clear or concise you have to really be listening and and accept the fact that like people from different places sound different and indeed that's, that's it like Bro, okay. yeah. like, you think angel thank you for offering that point because now you got the wheels turning a little bit more in my head about what my definition of clear and concise might be that was very eye opening hmm no that's good me and angel talk about that a lot like yeah i don't know i just think that for me when people say things like that, like, oh, this person speaks well, this person doesn't. Like, the question always, for me, is, like, to who, though? Like, specifically, like, who are you using as your standard? 
you know, because mm. there are certain things people could say to me, I don't understand exactly what they're saying, but in another group, they might be like, I have no idea what this person said because they, like Angel said, they lack that cultural understanding and context, you know? Yeah, I think, so I think that is always the question when we ask these things, you know, who exactly are we using? And I think that's a question that can be used a lot and people should use when they make blanket statements is like, who are we using as a standard? Because... Fuck, some fucking colonizers? <laughs> like, fuck out of here. <laughs> because it's very easy to always use that as the standard. Damn. That's all I knew growing up. You know what I'm saying? So that's, yeah. So I think, you know, that's because that ties into some of the, even the topics you guys have had. Uh, that ties into what's considered professional. You know, exactly. That ties into so many things. That we had a whole fucking episode on that one. Like, why? <laughs> why no, do like I even, have to talk like old white guys to sound professional? Yes. Even like that ties into art and music. What's considered art? What's considered creative? Well, you know, it ties into a million different things because, you know, when you live under a society like ours, like there is a standard and we all know who dictates that standard. So, oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> so we have to, you know, acknowledge that when we make statements like like that, you know. Mm. Now you've got me thinking, is the is the turn of phrase speaks well, does it even mean anything? <laughs> no, it absolutely means nothing. Is it even worth using? Unless you're talking about babies, like I don't see what other context <laughs> it could appropriately be applied. I tell you, I raise my That's eyebrow anytime I hear somebody say that. Damn, because that is not, an, that is like a little irony. That's because like, hmm? when is that ever really used? You got to just think about anytime yeah. you've ever heard that. Damn. Who are they talking about? Damn! No. Wow, it's yeah, the same thing. Right. Like, like I just saw somebody kind of joking about. I'm a big basketball fan. I saw somebody joking about like a video I saw on social media. They're talking about how like announcers talk about white players and they like white basketball players and they'll say like, oh yeah, like really blue collar player, really heavy player. <laughs> oh, like, you know, God. like, you know, like even, and people talk about this with football too. There's a difference in how they talk about black quarterbacks and like, oh, like, you know, Lamar Jackson, what's his name? Lamar Jackson almost got moved to a different position because he's too athletic to play quarterback. <laughs> Meanwhile, other players, oh, just a smart player, you know, just really, oh, he's not, he doesn't have the athletics. <laughs> But he's intelligent, though, and he knows how to use his, you oh know, he, he's crafty, things like that. And I think, like, that's just another example of what you wow. see at a, you know, at play, you know, within our society overall. You know, that's yeah. kind of how things work because, yeah, like, there's, like I said, there is a standard, you know. So when you hear, oh, this person Shit. speaks well, that's because you're just... talking about, you know, you yeah. speak like us. We'll, we'll let that rock. You speak like us. It might be more of your you have clarity when you speak rather than speaking quote unquote well. Tell me you live in a country dominated by white supremacy without telling me you live in a country dominated by white <laughs> supremacy. I hate it here. Damn it. It only takes a little bit of white brainwashing to activate the queenship in the average Negro's mind. That's what I just learned, bro. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I yo, that was that was a great discussion because I, I, fuck, I always get like silent when I'm, but I'm just learning. Like that yeah, shit was wild. Absolutely. Fuck. Speaks well is totally used in that context every time. That, wow. 
kind of fucking books are y'all reading? <laughs> <laughs> I'm crying. All right. Again, we're learning so much. Let's keep the ball rolling here. I'm going to ask Eric and I think it's mostly Angel because um, I've seen you retweet it and repost a bunch of stuff about it. I did want to ask you about this hashtag I've seen, Free Mumia. Can you just elaborate on who he is and why it's very important and relevant? Is it okay if I rant? Yeah. Thank you for asking for permission, but yeah, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> okay, cool. Absolutely, yes. And I very much appreciate the question because it is very important. Um, it actually is Mumia's birthday today, although not when people listen to this, April 24th. Yeah, so Mumia is currently a political prisoner in Pennsylvania. So he's been a political prisoner for the last 40 years. Can you believe the 80s was like 40 years ago? Crazy. Damn. A former, an internationally celebrated journalist, a former Black Panther. Um, and he was targeted essentially because of his political views, because he was a former Panther, because not only was he like a journalist that wrote about a lot of issues concerning like oppression and things, social justice, but he specifically supported this organization called Move, which is an organization in Philadelphia that um, most people know because they had a very tragic ending where the Philadelphia PD essentially bombed their building and killed a bunch of them. Actually, it just came out this week that Princeton University has been like illegally harboring the remains of the children that died in that bombing. But what can you say? What the fuck? Yeah, okay, I know, I right? Like, I believe it. Yeah, I, I think it's like just let that bear it for a second. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, it's Princeton. So, <laughs> you know... We all know the Ivy Leagues and their their history with I don't think we all with this. colonialism and slavery. I don't think that You should read Ebony and Ivy. It's a book about slavery and the rise of the American universities. Really, really great book. Anyway, so <laughs> yeah, I think especially is really important for people to be paying attention. So Mumia is, I think, maybe sixty five, sixty six. Something around that. So he spent the majority of his life in prison. It, typically, in, in the vast majority of the time, he spent in solitary confinement, actually. But only recently was it outlawed. So he hasn't been in solitary. But essentially, right now, when like the whole like Black Lives Matter and like we care about Black people aesthetic is in, and a lot of celebrities are like exploiting the Black Panther image to make money and make music videos and bullshit like that. It's important for us to remember that, like, a lot of people who are Black Panthers are still alive, like, right now. Like, a lot of them are actually in jail, in prison, like, and they've been serving, like, talking decades of fuck. Like, some of them actually, like, the U.S. government has never stopped hunting the Panthers down. Like, some of them have been, like, got targeted and incarcerated in the early 2000s. Like, this has been nonstop. So, a lot of Black Panthers are actually behind bars right now that we could be supporting instead of making like bullshit movies about them and like distorting their image and their message or like putting on berets and like dancing around and doing bullshit and taking photo shoots. Like we should actually be supporting the people who are still alive right now. And I think that Mumia is a perfect place to get started on that because he's based like his case was in Philadelphia. There actually is, and I'm going to try not to rant here, a quote unquote, his words, not my words, progressive prosecutor named Larry Krasner 
and he basically is he has control over like he could really like helps a free mumia and he's not doing it although he says that he's so progressive and he's such a white savior so a lot of people are putting pressure on him mumia is very sick he just got over covid like a few weeks ago he has like heart disease he has a bunch of like health ailments specifically from being in prison because prison is a very vile dangerous place for people and so people really just want to get him out right like there have been some political prisoners that we've been able to get out over the last like year or so because of all the black lives matter hype but there's still so many people that we need to help get out like what what type of movement are we if we don't take care of our elders you know like these people gave their lives for the struggle and we can't just let them like rot behind bars damn that's true because think of it like this Would we have the movements we're having right now, today, if not for the groundwork laid by these people who are behind bars right now? Not just the movements, but even like some of the benefits that people um, get in our society. You know, the Panthers, they had programs like breakfast. They gave breakfast to kids. You know what I'm saying? They gave breakfast to the communities. They did. They had a lot of community programs that was later adopted by like governments around the country you know so a lot of things like that like it's not just the movements but actual material benefits that a lot of people a lot of people gain from things that our ancestors had you know worked and died for and were incarcerated for you know so i think it's really important for people to understand that history and understand that it's not just history because it's continuing to happen you know those people are still being Yes. are still facing these consequences. So yeah. to Angel's point, you know, people need to tap into how they can help them. And to speak again to the a point that Angel made, these people who are behind bars are still alive and behind bars. Like, literally. The civil rights movement was not that long ago. Facts. Okay? A, a crazy manipulation of time that people with special interests have done is that you will see many photographs of the civil rights movement not in full color in black and white this is a very subtle way of making you think that this shit happened a long time ago it really didn't okay i don't know maybe maybe i'm full of shit maybe i don't know but i always saw it that way you're not okay oh good good because you're not full of shit i'll say because eric and angel here the autobiography of malcolm x opened my eyes in such a visceral way because while he was in Harlem, he was literally streets and blocks away, like mentioning all these places that I've lived next to, that I've lived on, that I've been to. And that really put it in perspective for me. Like, wait a minute. Like in my head, this should happen so long ago. Meanwhile, these structures are still here. Like these restaurants, these theaters, these streets are are here and I can go to them. This shit wasn't that long ago. And if you say his name up in Harlem, obviously people, everyone in the world almost knows who Malcolm X is, but it has a different energy when you talk about it with someone who's in Harlem that is, you know, an elder who's who's been there when, when he marched on the police department for uh, brutally beating one of the members of the uh, Nation of Islam. People remember that. That wasn't that long ago. It's true. One thing that comes to mind when we talk about this is that I think it's important there's like a very deliberate effort to kind of separate generations almost and like keep us from understanding that, you know, this struggle is like a continuous one. 
I think that's why, you know, you think about, and this is me kind of ranting a little bit, but you think about how, like, I'll speak for myself, and I think this is something probably y'all will agree with and a lot of people will agree with. When you learn about, like, the history of movements like that in America specifically, okay, niggas was brought over here and enslaved. And then after that, oh, Abraham Lincoln was such a great person and Civil War. <laughs> oh, they freed the niggas. And then you skip all the way ahead to the 60s and the Civil Rights Movement. MLK is so dope. Malcolm X kind of dope. He's a little more violent. And then you skip ahead to the 2000s and we're all friends and everything is fine. And there's still some problems, but we're working on Don't it. Don't forget Barack Obama. Oh, Barack Obama. Pivotal oh, moment. Right. Black president. Boom. Yeah, nah, that, that, that fixed everything, bro. We're and good. Malcolm X would be so proud. And <laughs> I feel like there's this deliberate effort to like separate all these movements through time. And also I think that's a problem that I really like noticed a lot, you know, last year during the uprisings is that, you know, there's this lack of desire and respect for the past and history and trying to understand and learn about those things to inform your opinions, you know? And I say that because I feel like I saw a lot of people saying things like, oh, we as black people just need to do this or this is what we need to do to fix police brutality. And I would try, you know, when I see these things with like people I know, especially, but like just in general, like you realize that a lot of times people are lacking an understanding that there's really nothing new under the sun. Like if you think that you are going to see a problem that's been going on for hundreds of years and without understanding the past and without actually going out of your way to read and understand what has happened before that you are going to be the person to say this is what would fix this problem then i don't know what to say to you like there's you need to you need to learn about humility and understand that you need to understand what's happened before you before you try to speak on that you know i've seen people say we just all need to get guns and go out there and get in a shooting war i'm like okay well we don't die so because i know this because that has happened to some people who tried that in the past Exactly. Things like that. So I would just say like, that's something that's a big takeaway to me is that it's important for everyone to like, understand what's happened before them and connect all of these things. And that's the only way that you can start to build something that's actually important and matters. Yes, absolutely. And I'm like, oh, you're about to get me going, but I'll scale it back. But (laughs) that is why Harrison, I always tell Eric this, like, I love how you are always bringing like the slave trade and slavery up. Cause even though you get shit for it, like we literally, like we were enslaved for 400 fucking years. I don't think people understand how long of a time that was. I think it, I think it might even be a little bit more than that. Oh, it absolutely was. (laughs) And come to think of it, are we not, to some extent, still kind of fucking enslaved? Hello? Hello? <laughs> like, we, like, we just went over this shit. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly. Like, 400 years wasn't enough, obviously. You feel me? And it's like, not only have we been here, like, black people have been resisting every single solitary day of those four to 500 years. Every single day from the moment these niggas cuffed us in Africa, like, we have been resisting. So... For me, it's so insulting. Like, I think it's so arrogant for people to think that they can, like, offer suggestions and solutions. Black people need to, oh, we just need to have a civilian review board. We just need to do this. When it's like... You just need to do that. You just need to act better. Like, shit like that. Exactly. You haven't even uh, done the due diligence of looking up, like, damn, what happened literally all the other times since the early 1900s that black people tried to do civilian review boards? What happened all the other... Like hundreds of times black people tried to do 
fucking, oh, cameras and recordings. What happened all the other task forces ago? What happened all the other murders ago? You never even bothered to look it up. And then you think you can speak so arrogantly to what black people need to do. And to me, it's so offensive because like you don't even give our ancestors that grace to try to learn from them. And what they did, like, we are not the first black people to be like, damn, some shit is fucked up. Somebody should do something. So if you're not even bothering to study that, like, and then I also feel like another point I have while Eric was talking was, I feel like maybe people who listen to y'all's podcast don't understand, like, the depths of which when we say, like, Panthers are behind bars, like, that was a very deliberate, like, the U.S. government, look it up, COINTELPRO, literally, like, spent a vast amount of resources taking the Panthers the fuck down, taking MLK down, taking Malcolm down. They had hits on people's heads. They literally murdered people in cold blood. They mm-hmm. they spied on people. They blackmailed people. They set people up. They lied on people. Like The U.S. government was very much against black liberation. And I feel like a lot of people don't understand the depths to which they go to stop that liberation from happening. You're absolutely positively correct. And that's not even just in America. That's the other wild part is it's not even... I'm sorry. Actually, I was about to just... Yeah, you hear that, liberals? (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) Hold on. But you're right. Because you know what? It's not even a secret. Just the efforts, the lengths, the spending... That the literal United States government, (laughs) whether it's local or federal or state, whatever, has gone to, the lengths they have gone to, to oppress and or kill black people constantly. Facts. This shit is crazy. I mean, not even, like, forget, don't forget slavery, but forget slavery. (laughs) The fucking crack epidemic was literally made. Like, you can look, you can look this up. Look it up. The crack epidemic. Ronald Reagan was in the kitchen with that shit on the stove. Okay? <laughs> he did it. You can, like, do the research. It's terrible. The government has been killing us for so long. And to speak to your point about arrogance, you're so right. Because it's foolish to think that you're the first person to have this idea. Yeah. Only an amateur thinks that they're the first person to have this grand thought or to think that they have the solution. Yes. We've been try we have been facing and and considering the solutions to these problems for hundreds of years. And every time we try, we get put down in some other way. Yep. And I think this really this is what I was gonna say before. But now I feel like I have to say, like, this really hits home for me because as someone who is Haitian American, you hear the way Haiti is spoken about. And it's not until I've gotten older that I've read about it. I've read about even like, you know, I told you I've read about, I've been reading this book about the Haitian Revolution. I have another one geared up that goes from the Haitian Revolution all the way to 2004. And 2004 is significant because that is when the president of Haiti was kidnapped by America because of these ideas of getting outside influence, you know, AKA America away from and out of Haiti, having a country that is actually for itself and not for the benefit of American corporations and companies and capitalists. And so it happens at every turn. 
And it becomes easy to say that, you know, oh, well, y'all should have just done this differently or y'all should have done that differently because the truth of the matter is, you know, it doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't matter what we do, but in a lot of ways it doesn't because it's not, the issues a lot of times aren't what we do. It's that there's always an answer for whatever we do. There's always a way to, all right, well, we'll just fuck you up this way. You know, we'll just squash whatever you mm-hmm. do this way. And then later we'll tell people, well, you should have done X, Y, Z. And like, you know, it's a very similar thing. You know, you can look into what's happening in Haiti right now, like what calls for the president to step down, like a very similar circumstance is because of similarly, you know, outside influence. So this is something that happens here in America. It's something that happens in other countries as well. You know, it's it's it, it happens right in front of our faces <laughs> like there's no but we're told that it's something completely different and it's very easy to believe the lie that oh it's those people's fault because they should have done xyz instead and then also i feel like it's not even to sound like i feel like what a lot of like liberals and conservatives will say is like oh that's so negative like you make it seem like we can't do anything and it's like no it's really not like meant to be negative it's really being very practical about the conditions that people are fighting under. And so we have to adjust, you know what I'm saying? And I think also because people don't bother to study what actually happened, like if you read about the civil rights movement and the black power movement, like once you start reading about it, like the shit was so messy, you know what I'm saying? Like they tell the story in this concise way, but it really was a bunch of like 20 something year olds trying to figure it the fuck out. And I think especially with the Panthers, you know, like people have these idealized like very very masculine views of the panthers of what they wanted them to be these like black men in leather carrying guns and like shoot having shootouts with the cops and blah 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 and that certainly was one believe it or not minor aspect of the panthers like the large panther like party gained popularity because of their community programs and that was like regular people like you and me and eric like bagging groceries for the free grocery program like cooking pancakes for the free breakfast program for the kids driving the van to do the free uh, prison visits like Mm -hmm. doing checkups for people at the free like health clinic like that Mm. is what made the panther so iconic and that is the stuff that we can do as as individuals because people hear these things and they're like oh there's nothing we can do unless i can be like this fucking messiah like mlk was and they don't understand that when you put these people like on pedestals it's typically it's contrary to their beliefs like these are people that are usually like don't put me on a pedestal it's my community and it's really like the everyday people that keep this shit going like one person may make speeches and be charismatic and be really dope but they're not the person that's doing the day-to-day organizing to actually help our people and i feel like people just want to be a messiah so bad that they like lose the actual like material things that they can do for the community yo absolutely like everything you said and two things first that stuff that you doing community work like the actual work helping people who need the help like whether it's get dishing out meals or or giving people access to transportation or whatever that's real change that's real help right that's the stuff that people need to do if they want to make a difference and it is small but small things add up to like a big change okay and the panthers did do stuff like that right but guess what the reason why the image that they have isn't of that they don't highlight that when you hear about them for the most part unless you do your real research 
the image that gets painted of them far too often in the United States is of this like hyper militant group, right? Mm -hmm. Because some people want to demonize them because it's easier to put someone down when you've demonized them because they have become less human through this demonization. Facts. Straight facts. Nick, you're not going to add a facts times three? Facts. Facts. <laughs> I I don't even have shit to add because I just learned everything. <laughs> Eric, Angel, Angel Eric, thank you again for being here. It's now time for... I've been having fun the whole show. I like to call this the fun part of the show, but I've been having fun this entire time and just learning so much. What is your least favorite thing about your culture that you've experienced while growing up or that you've read about? What's crazy is I know y'all always ask this question and I still didn't prepare an answer for it. (laughs) Same here. I'm like, oh man, I knew this was coming and still did not anticipate the question. Okay, I will say this. This is, I wouldn't, I don't know if it's like the thing that bothers me most, but it's definitely the most salient thing to me, like in this current political moment. So I will, it's subject to change, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Oh man. One of the things that like really gets me is I love my people. We are some of the greatest people in the world. We are very, very loyal to a fault. And the loyalty that Black Americans specifically feel toward the Democratic Party, despite how many times they've thrown us under the bus, <laughs> fucked us over, yes. literally just ran straight up yes. lies and propaganda so that we would eat their bullshit and like consistently yes. don't take us mm. seriously politically, is like almost the bane of my existence in this current political moment. Like it, it just shreds me apart. <laughs> I hate it. Damn. You hear that, Joe Biden? Jim Crow Joe and Cop Mala. <laughs> oh, sh- oh Cop shit. Mala. Cop Mala. There Cop it is Mala. right there. Hell yeah. She looking mad unfamiliar to me. <laughs> Period. <laughs> <laughs> Niggas hit us with the mass incarceration combo piece. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I that this is a really hard one for me because the only things that come to mind are like things that were also like forced upon us. That's real. And like that, you know, but that is unfortunately a part of the culture. Absolutely. In and of itself. Absolutely. I wouldn't deny that. It's just like it's always like it's just hard for me, like, I guess, because, you know, like, I think maybe you could t- I could talk about, like, you know, colorism is a big thing, but that's, I think that's something that's faced in every, really almost yeah. every corner of the diaspora, so. Um, you know, you know what might be interesting as a least favorite thing that I can speak on? I normally don't answer this question, oh, please. but it, it's something I've read about lately is how many movies or how much it's been talked about in pop culture, but like black trauma porn and it's really it's really interesting to just definitely all these movies are being made about just black people just having a fucking terrible time and it's supposed to be entertaining or quote-unquote eye-opening and the stories 
are they're real. Yeah, they happen to black people every single day in this country. However, good things also happen to black people. You know, like they there's birthday parties and stuff <laughs> that are fun. Well, yeah, fun. Then I just never make movies about I them. I also feel like it completely misconstrues. Sorry, I'm going to make this very quick because I don't want to derail this again. But I also feel like it completely like misconstrues what's actually going on. Like a lot of these producers and like move like Hollywood people will like make a fuck ton of money off this and say we wanted to raise awareness. And it's like. What awareness is there to raise? Like, white people used to bring their fucking children to our lynchings. Like, niggas know what's going on. Y'all, we all watched George Floyd get murdered. We know there's no awareness to be made. Like, you're just making a bit, you're just making bread off of showing black people get murdered to presumably a white audience. Cause I know you're not trying to raise awareness to black people. Right. We've heard this story a hundred thousand times. <laughs> it's <so>. our lives. <laughs> so who is this for? Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. And I think most times it's, you know, it's sad because it gets, it gets turned into like a drama movie and it gets like dramatized and like just turned into this, you know, you got to make it a, a cute little story and it has to follow, you know, like there's only certain type of movies that get made. So it has to have a certain beginning, middle and end it has to be told a certain way. Mm-hmm. You know, this person who might not have actually been bad, they have to be turned into a, bil- a villain. They have to be turned into a sleazeball to make the story compelling. Instead of it being told, you know, the way it actually happened. And these things shape people's opinions on things that actually happened. You know, there's a whole generation of people whose knowledge of Malcolm X is shaped by Spike Lee's movie that came out in the 90s that like misrepresented him in so many ways. And where he picked and chose like certain aspects of, of Malcolm X to portray and left a lot of like the meat of it on the ground, you know? So that's the other sad part about that. It's like, bro, make a documentary if you really care about this thing. And like, mm. is that the Denzel one? Yes. Mm-hmm. Now Denzel's acting phenomenal. Fantastic. And then yeah. of course, yeah, that brother's starving. The greatest, <laughs> one of the greatest clips ever from that. And there's a second one too. God. When, he, when he's talking to the dude and he's like, you see that right there? That's that slave mentality. Now, this is exactly what I'm talking about, the slave mentality, the slave mind. This brother and I, we had the slave mind. Another great clip. I will acknowledge those two. I will set my criticism aside to acknowledge those two moments, which are fantastic for use. But it's three uh, hours long. But it's a three-hour movie that, you know, misses the whole point of who Malcolm was and what he stood for. But, you know, so I think that's the other sad part about it. And that's something you saw similar in... Judas and the Black Messiah as well, you know, like it really missed the point of what Fred Hampton stood for because it made him out to be, you know, the idea of a Black Messiah, that was that was the FBI, like that was their phrasing, like that was how they viewed things. That is not how Fred Hampton viewed himself. You know, when he said, I'm willing to die for this, it's because he understood that if a movement is going to be successful, I can't be the only thing keep holding it up. But you see, here I go ranting again, so I'm gonna, <laughs> You're good. No, that's that's valid. Like it's it's almost like you can't accurately portray everything that somebody stood for in a movie format. Not in capitalism. <laughs> I mean, shit. <laughs> just 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 read the right books is the that's that's it. All right. Well, I mean, real quick, we'll just keep it moving. Both of you, what's your favorite thing? about 
your culture. What's your favorite? No, fuck that. What's your favorite thing about being black? Hell yeah. I have rhythm. I was playing. <laughs> <laughs> that's real. That's a real. That's, a, that's, a, that's such a real answer. Uh, I have hand-eye coordination. <laughs> I don't know. You? Yeah. <laughs> I used to be good at sports. I used was to be good Shay? at sports before I found out what oh, Oreos oh, was. I used to. <laughs> I know. I feel like I could. Honestly, I could go on and on and on about like what I love about being black. I'm like, I pretty much love everything except the parts where white supremacy come along. Like, shit. <laughs> you know, like to yeah. me, like. Black people are so dope, like literally everywhere. And to me, that was the most exciting part about like coming to the understanding of how big the diaspora was because everywhere we are, like we are, like we create so much foundation for people's culture. You know what I'm saying? Like there's so many music, I won't be shady, although mm. I want to, but there's so many music genres that are literally copy and paste like black culture. Like, there are so many people that they hear us and, like, they damn near just oh. steal from us because they're like, damn, that's so fucking dope. Like, every oh, single... Oh, you're going to get me started here. Listen. Black, pe- black people made every, literally, basically every music. Literally, we like, made jazz. We made every, rock and roll. We made hip-hop, oh, R&B, yes. disco, like, pop music. Blues. Our, Blues yes. Like, all of that. We gospel. Did, we did all of that shit. We made every music genre that there is. When we didn't create something... And we dabble in it. We just body it. So we even created EDM. Not, yep. Yeah. House yep. music. Yep. So it's like we, and then even our food, like niggas love our food. Our food is mad fantastic. Like the way we dress, like you got fucking Billy Eyelash dressing like a fucking like black person in 2006. <laughs> like everybody wants yeah. to jack our style. Like everybody black, wants. Black people <laughs> are the most imitated people on the planet. Abs- How many people have y'all heard try to like speak in fake like African American vernacular and just sound dumb? Aquafina. <laughs> 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 Period. Because it's like, they almost like damn near make a mockery of our culture. Like, but people try to talk like Ariana Grande be like talking like a black person, her fucking songs. Like, you're from Boca. Like, you don't talk like that. You know what I'm saying? And like, we just, we are the like OGs. Like, I feel like everything about black people is mad dope. We're beautiful as fuck. Like, some of the most beautiful people I've ever seen. Like, some people I couldn't even conceive of being as beautiful. All black people. Like, we just are it. We're, we're the moment. And the moment never ends. <laughs> That's Damn. a bar right there. Yes. For me, like, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to answer because it's like just literally everything. But I think if I had to pick my absolute favorite, it would be that there's just this sense of community and like pride, no matter where you go. Like anywhere you go, you can get that vibe. And you know, me and Angel, we like to travel a lot. And anytime we've traveled somewhere. If we've gotten some, like, wherever country we're in, we're a European country, you know, we're in a country, Latin America, wherever, or somewhere else, even in the States, like, if you see another black person, like, it's almost as if, and I think you guys have talked about this before, like, if you see another black person, especially in a space where there are so few of you, it's like an automatic, like, I'm looking out for you, I'm making sure you're good. If I see something Yo. bad happen to you, like, I'm going to come check mm-hmm. on you, I'm going to try to hold you down. Like, to me, like, that is one of my favorite things about being black is just feeling like you have that, you know? Like, yeah, we don't always all see eye to eye, but that's any group of people. No group of people ever see eye to eye. So this is my quick rant that I'm tired of people <laughs> saying that as if we all are ever going to get all on the same exact page because that doesn't happen with anyone. But we always, I feel like we always look out for each other um, no matter where we are. Like, we have, me and Angel have been in Europe 
and we'll have people who have people who barely speak English, like come and check on us. They'll give us directions. They'll be like, Oh, how are you? How's your stay here so far? Like people who just see us on the street and like come and spark a conversation with us, you know, and it feels like they're always looking out. And I feel like you get that everywhere. And that's probably my favorite thing. Cause I like, that's I feel like if I'm in a space, yeah. And if I'm in a space and for any reason I'm feeling like uncomfortable, you know, I'm naturally a shy person. Like if I have like someone like that and they come in like, are you good? You need anything? I like can feel my anxiety like just drop down and I feel like much more comfortable. I feel like all right, someone here has my back if anything goes sideways in any way, you know. Or if you don't know if shit's about to go down, y'all exchange the look like, do you, are you seeing this or am I tripping? <laughs> that is that is one of the best moments of being a black yeah. person is when you look at the other black person nearby and be like, are you seeing this caucasity? There's the speed of light, the speed of sound, and the speed of two black people looking at, at each other. Some fuck shit yeah. is happening. No. You're right. <laughs> that is in third place. Cause y'all eyes will meet like as if they're just two magnets, like <laughs> and you. Sometimes you won't even know that there's a, another black person in the space, but as soon as some fuck shit happens, <laughs> your eye just automatically like darts to that person. You didn't know they was there before, That's facts. but you just know it when oh it happens because it's just natural. Can I answer this question too? Now that we talked about it, <laughs> hell yeah! I answered the last one. You take this one. My favorite, my favorite part about being black is we got great skin. <laughs> that's, that's it facts. I'll keep it simple that is true. Yeah, we got great skin man it's the melanin facts well we have I keep saying it but I've learned more today than I think on any episode previous which is fantastic because you are still rocking with the season 2 premiere of the Brown Not Black podcast I once again want to give the biggest shout out to Eric and Angel for being here. Um, I would actually request something from the both of you. You've both mentioned books. Eric mentioned a book about the Haitian Revolution. Angel, you mentioned that book about the Ivy League colleges. Could you just both very quickly plug those books so that our listeners are able to um, check them out a little bit later? Yeah, I'll go first. So mine was Black Jacobins, which is just a book by C.L.R. James written in the 30s, if I'm not mistaken, which gives just like a full account of the Haitian Revolution from what started it, how Africans were brought to Haiti, brought to the island. Um, it really lays out everything. I would just recommend if you're going to read it, definitely have like a little notepad or something to keep track of some names because he'll really just be like, yeah, Jacob. And then like not bring up Jacob for like 90 pages and you might forget who Jacob was. So like just definitely <laughs> keep that on you in case. But I think it's a really dope book, um, really gets into the meat of everything. And it gave me um, a bigger understanding, a greater understanding of what really happened and, you know, the circumstances that led to you know, the country that I, you know, call like my ancestral home now. So I highly recommend that one. So the book I recommended was called Ebony and Ivy, Race, Slavery, and the Troubled History of America's Universities. The author's name is Craig Stephen Wilder. And it's just, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory in the title, but it's a really dope book. And it really goes to show like how there pretty much is no such thing as like American universities without slavery and colonialism and genocide. 
So shout out to all the Ivy Leagues. Not actually. Um, <laughs> but also, like, honestly, the like biggest piece of advice I would give to people is please read about slavery. You cannot understand at all race or anything without understanding slavery. And it was for like literally 400 fucking years. So you have to. But not even just black people. Like it literally was the basis of the entire economy. So you can't understand anything in this country unless you know stuff about slavery. So read about slavery. You heard it here. Well, actually, hopefully not first. <laughs> but you heard it here again. Oh, shit. <laughs> but maybe, you know, if it's your first time, it's okay. That's all right, too. Just, if it's okay. As long as you get into it, it's exactly. okay. Just tap in. If it's your first time, consider yourself lucky and tap in. Yeah. <laughs> Kiss your happiness goodbye. <laughs> that was dark. Not at all. Knowledge is power. So you got to know. Knowledge is power. Thank you both for that. I am very confident in saying you are welcome back on this podcast anytime you want. I'd, if Harrison disagrees for whatever reason. No, I, honestly, fuck y'all. No, wait, I'm playing. <laughs> you guys have honestly been so, so informative. Y'all made me have like two to three revelations during this podcast. <laughs> it was great. Really contributed to a wonderful conversation in just like the most excellent format. I'm so happy that we saved such broad but important topics for guests as well-informed and, and talkative as you. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to be on. I mean, I listen to every episode, so. Yeah, we both listen to every episode and have like a after, like a post episode, <laughs> like discussion on whatever topic y'all talk about. So it was really dope to join y'all honestly i also want to say like i have been especially excited for eric to come on because nick is always talking about his first black friends and that shit makes me laugh so hard i'm like that's eric yeah that's true (laughs) (laughs) he'll be like you know some haitian young men i'm like that's fucking eric yeah it's insane because like nick you were my like first black friend at like in high school because we were like the two slowest kids in cross country so well two of the three (laughs) Why did you have to say that? <laughs> it's yeah. okay. No, you're right, though. I, you're we right, excelled though. at other sports, so it's fine. Cross country was not. Yeah, that's that was not for us. But <laughs> so it's 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 really it's really dope to to join. Yo. This was really fire. All right, dope. I love I love hearing that. You, I'm sure. I hope you'll be back soon. Thank you for rocking with another episode of the Brown Not Black podcast. But wait, you know we couldn't forget about this, Harrison. <laughs> if you have any <laughs> oh god I'm so nervous Harrison if you have any closing remarks please say them yeah I do actually machine gun tearing my body all apart evil man make me kill you evil man make you kill me even though we're only families apart <laughs> Did we just leave it as a mic drop? Oh, was that Machine Gun Kelly? <laughs> no, that's uh, Jimi Hendrix Machine Gun. Did you say Machine Gun Kelly? I heard Machine Gun what? and I was like... Bruh, what? No. No. That was powerful. Thank I you. I like that. I didn't write We're that. only families apart. Jimi Hendrix wrote that about the Vietnam War. I was listening to that earlier today, actually. That's why I said wow. it. Wow. Good choice. Yeah. That was great. All right. Ah, Eric, Angel, you got any closing remarks? No? 
Okay. Well. Oh my god! <laughs> I can't even answer you. Give us a second and a half. I would just say read and engage, challenge yourself to learn, and lastly, try to you know link up with your with people in your community doing dope stuff. Figure out who's doing something dope and tap into that. And you know, I feel like that'll always lead you down a, a path of like positive change. You know, your responsibility to you know people in your community isn't just one day in November. It's really every day of your life. So figure that out. And that's not to speak from a high horse, but we all have to be on a journey of figuring that out. So I think we everyone should challenge themselves to do that. My closing remark is defund the fucking police <laughs> and fuck those niggas. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. <laughs> yeah, okay. This is, this is all sound advice. <laughs> Yo, you've been with the Brown Not Black, or is it the Black Not Brown podcast? <laughs> Season two, bigger, better, and blacker than ever. You gotta know I'ma be a nigga for life